Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring leadership in nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN's eLearning, offering online courses for nurse preceptors like the Preceptor Challenge, with information available at aacn.org forward slash precept. Now here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barton. This is Connie Barden, and I'm so happy to be here today to talk on a topic that is top of mind for almost every critical care nurse that I know, and that's a topic of precepting. And I'm really happy to get to talk with Susan Bartos. Susan is the nurse program coordinator in uh, pediatric cardiovascular research at Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina. So Susan, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It is my absolute pleasure. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's going to be fun because I know you're 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 quite a pro on this from a couple of angles. But before we get into precepting stuff, we know you pretty well around here at AACN. You've done a host of volunteering things for us. But um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So your your the the cliff notes of your career path, what you've done with AACN, anything you want to share about yourself nursing related or any other thing for that matter? I started as a med surge nurse, med surge cardiology. I quickly went to critical care, surgical trauma, critical care. And that's where I worked the bulk of my career. And while I was working, I was also an academic teacher working as an assistant professor up in Connecticut. Um, After that, I went into industry. So I kind of have done it all. I've done academic, I've done industry, and now I'm in clinical research. So doing those three roles have really given me the opportunity to teach, to precept, and then to also clinically practice. And I've always been involved with the AACN. They're like my my, uh, foundational support for clinical guidelines. And because I'm not at the bedside full time, I really look to the AACN for uh, resources. I'm really happy to hear you say that. We we pride ourselves in hoping to get the resources right for nurses, regardless of role, mm-hmm. regardless of setting. So yay that mm-hmm. uh, yeah that that's been working for you throughout your career. And so your your job now is in this uh, pediatric cardiovascular research, but are you also on faculty? You're doing some teaching or have done some teaching as faculty? I was an assistant professor for seven years. I'm not on faculty currently, though. I'm just the program coordinator. Right. But we're going to tap into some of that experience, though, because I think when we think about precepting, we have new nurses new to critical acute and critical care. Um, to talk about, but sometimes we also are coaching, mentoring, precepting students. So we'll kind of dabble with both of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, So let me ask you this, just just in general, if you sort of back up and think about this topic called precepting, what's top of mind for you first when I say, what are some of the, the top of mind tips that come to mind for giving people the best experience in terms of being a good preceptor for uh, nurses having a new experience in critical care? Understanding each other is step one. So it's it's easy to come on to an experience and say, okay, you know, day one, this is what we're going to do and fall into kind of a recipe. But understanding learning styles and communication styles is really what sets you up for success. And having practiced in different practice areas and in different roles 
I've been mentored and I've been taught and I've been um, oriented to many different types of jobs. And really having that clear communication and role expectations sets you up for success. So when precepting, you know, you one person may go into, this is what it's expected of me. This is what the role expectations are. But that other person, and I, I'm using the word person because delineating the role of preceptor and preceptee, I'm speaking very vaguely right now for a reason, because I think both sides and both parties need to have that kind of that understanding of clear communication. So having that conversation right up front of this is what the expectation is. This is how I like to be communicated with. This is how I learn the best. It was really what sets you up for any type of learning. So for example, if I'm a new nurse, um, like I happen to be a visual person. So I might, it might, it might help me to communicate to you if you're my preceptor, like really feel free to grab a paper towel and draw something out for me here. Cause that's really going to work for me rather than just talking or is, is that kind of down to the nitty gritty kind of thing you're talking about? Right. Yeah. And exactly what you said, some people might learn what really great visual or some might learn really great with auditory. Um, I'm talking to you with a pen in my hand because I like to feel something when I'm thinking and talking. Others might, listen to this podcast and get something out of it. So having that kind of conversation right up front and thinking about critical care orientation, you know, how do you learn best? Do you learn best from looking at PowerPoint slides or reading something, or is it better to put a transducer in front of you and say, prime this, and this is why, and learning the fundamentals of the physics behind a a transducer that might work for some that might not, but getting that conversation And having that conversation early will set everything, that kind of this cascade, because then every subsequent conversation sets the learner up for success. Yeah, that makes sense. So what I'm hearing you say is don't assume. (laughs) Don't assume assume you know if you're the preceptor what works best for them. But also I'd say for the preceptee, don't assume the preceptor can read your mind. And don't assume that the last person that they precepted is the what worked for that person will work for you, right? And as both parties, as both the preceptor and the preceptee, both should always be willing to be flexible and willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, because as a preceptor, I might say, oh, well, this worked really great for my last preceptee and it might not work well. And that can cause a little bit of a relationship burden too, right? Because we all ultimately want to be successful on both sides. So I just think having that first conversation of what works for you is so, so important. And then being flexible to adjust teaching styles, especially so that we are delivering the correct message. The message is being delivered correctly and being received correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm kind of hearing like both parties, so to speak, have responsibility, not just Sometimes I think we sort of lay all of this on the preceptor as if the poor brand new preceptee doesn't have an accountability, but they also have an accountability to speak up, talk Mm -hmm. about their needs and what's working and what's not. Yeah, you're hitting on something that I like to to think about. It's called reciprocal feedback. So it's that that idea of, you know, the learner is constantly getting feedback. You know, this you're doing that great. You're not doing that great. You can improve there. But also the preceptor should be getting feedback as well. So how did I teach that? How did you receive that message? 
um, you know, I hear a lot of the language of does that make sense, uh, which is okay, but if it doesn't, why not? And, but again, laying the groundwork of that trusting relationship, because if that, if that language of, did that make sense to you? Or did you get that? And if that trusting relationship isn't there, maybe that person, that preceptee doesn't feel comfortable saying, no, it didn't. And then why didn't it? So establishing trust upfront by saying, you know, what works best for you and how could we work around that? And then having that trusting environment where if something doesn't make sense, okay, well, let's troubleshoot through that. Right. Yeah, I like that a lot. So it has to do with the preceptor, because there's a little bit of a power dynamic here. The preceptor is a bit more, you know, they're experienced, they know what they're doing, and the preceptor is mm. new. So the preceptor creating a safe space, mm-hmm. which the new person can give some feedback and not feel like weird about it. Right. Because, you know, if you're, if you're creating an environment where the expectation is both parties are learners because we're lifelong learners. So if we're both in a constant flux of information, just at different levels, you know, there's, there's a, a person leading the learning, but we're still both learners. So to kind of adjust to that, like, well, I'll use your word, their power dynamic, you know, and it try to eliminate that a little bit so that we're both learning just to, we're, we're at different levels. You know, you might be a little bit ahead of me, but we're still both learning. And if we both see ourselves as learners and to kind of take down that barrier, then we can say, okay, well, you know, here's where I am. Where are you? Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if the preceptors are two years out from school or 22 years out from school, we all are still learning no matter, no matter sure. what. Yeah. Now, let, let me ask you this, thinking about this initial off the top of your head, my mind is going to a, a preceptor precepting a new nurse on staff. Is there anything different to consider if this nurse being precepted is a nursing student? Do we do things any differently there or is pretty much the same rules apply for both groups? Going on the philosophy of we're all learners. I think we could say the same rules apply, you know, adjusting for by skill level, then, you know, we can adjust, but sticking with that philosophy of we're all learners, we're just different levels of learners, you know, then if it's a nursing student, again, a learner, if it's a a nurse one year out of school, a learner, just at a different level. Um, So that's the flexibility of the preceptor of how do you how much do you give? How much do you adjust the skill level? And that's where the adjustment comes in. Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. And, you know, for a lot of us, it's hard to even think back of what it felt like to be a, a brand new graduate going into wherever. Um, mm-hmm. My first job was in critical care and different people start out in different places. But no matter where it is, you're pretty much terrified mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're a new graduate coming into any setting. So maybe some empathy is important. A fun exercise I always think is, is, you know, that new nurse, new graduate, nursing student, whomever, you know, have that conversation, that personal conversation and have that person teach the preceptor, you know, something that that preceptor doesn't know a skill, right? Something that's totally out of their wheelhouse, take it out of nursing, you know, and maybe it's a, a, a trivia fact, or maybe it's a, something that's totally out of that purse that out of the realm of nursing so that you could remember 
have that empathy of what it feels like to be out of your comfort zone. Great idea. I love that. Mm-hmm. I was just in a conversation with some people, they were talking about learning how to pull an RV behind your car, you know, so like any could be anything. You're it right. could be anything. Yeah. And you maybe you can't do that on the unit, but you could certainly yeah. talk somebody through it or draw a diagram and somebody might be able to, you know, and we're such a diverse group of professionals these days, right? Yeah. With second degree students and with um, people from different um, areas of the country, and we're all diverging into this career of nursing with so many different backgrounds that we have so many different skill sets. So when you're on the floor, why not bring those different conversations? And not necessarily as an equalizer, but as that, I have empathy right now because I don't know how to do this skill that you're really good at. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and talk somebody through that and say, do you remember what it's like? This is how it feels to me right now. So sometimes that kind of conversation as just a, uh, an empathy builder, which I really like. Might sure. Help. Mm-hmm. sure. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Really great. Let me ask you, um, there's sort of an age old question, especially in these days of 12 hour shifts, um, which has to do with, do you, in your view, do you think it's most ideal if a preceptee is to the extent possible assigned to one preceptor only Mm-hmm. Or is it a richer experience to uh, have multiple preceptors over a period of time? Do you have any leanings on that? So when I went into critical care, I had two preceptors. I still remember them, Sharon and Angela, and I hope they listened to them. <laughs> but, I, you know, they were my they were my go-tos, right? I was with them with every shift, back and forth, back and forth. Like, you know, they raised me. And I see the utility in that because it's the same people, you get to know them, you build that relationship, you see clinical practice. When you're done though, you know, you come off and it's their practice, you know, and it's hard as a new critical care nurse to make adjustments or to fall into your own routine when you've been with two or maybe three of the same preceptors. So knowing my experience and knowing what I've experienced as a preceptor. Now, when I worked in critical care, I was per diem because I was in academia as well. Mm -hmm. So I would often fill in for preceptors. So I would have a preceptee and then I would never see them again, or I would have, you know, here and there I'd be peppered in. And I really see the benefit of that. I didn't do things the way their primary preceptor did. And they would say, hmm, that's a different way of doing things. And I would say is different wrong. You know, so it's almost like a way of promoting that extra step of critical thinking and challenging them to say, well, is it wrong? And they would, you know, give their answer to that. And we would open that discussion of what's wrong versus right or incorrect or best practices. um, because. Again, when you're with the same people over and over, you only see one or two ways of doing things versus opening up the uh, platform to more people. You're seeing more creative ways of doing things, more um, time management. Um, So it's not necessarily different ways of doing things, but it's what fits your workflow the best. So I think I'm on team multiple preceptors. Yeah, I I hear that. And I love that frame of is different wrong. And maybe even it's an opportunity to say to the person, well, let's think together. So Mm -hmm. Susan did it this way and Fred did it that way. Now Connie's doing it this way. 
a lot of times there are multiple ways to do the same thing. And sometimes there are some things that are better Mm -hmm. than others, but it gives you an opportunity to think with the preceptee. I also appreciate as a new learner, the, the want to see one way, right? Because it can be very confusing to see a bunch of different ways because what's the right way? So I appreciate that. And, but again, that opens up this wonderful conversation of is different wrong, right? So you, you could say, well, like, like you had just said, one person A does it this way, person B does it that way, person C does it this way. Tell me what's correct about all three ways or tell me what's incorrect about all three ways. So Mm -hmm. again, it's, it's an, it's a conversation to enhance learning. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. I like, I like that way of looking at it. You know, I'm guessing there are a number of people listening who are leaders in units and they often are the ones, whether charge nurses or whoever, um, assigning folks to be preceptors on a given day. What would you suggest to nurse leaders um, to consider in selecting preceptor for various kinds of folks coming in new to the unit? When selecting a preceptor as a leader, again, having that conversation with who you're selecting of why do you want a precept? I understand how staffing is and it's it's tight and sometimes you can't have the um volunteer of who wants to precept and you sometimes there's not we don't have the luxury of choice necessarily right now and I I am sensitive to that and I understand but if you do and if you can I think having a conversation a reflective conversation with the preceptors of why do you want to precept is it for your own professional development is it so you understand the protocols better is it to advance the career of somebody else and really getting to the, the the fundamental core motivation behind why someone wants to be a preceptor, because when times get tough and it gets frustrating or it gets tiring, revisiting that, you know, and leaders, when leaders check in with their preceptors and say, hey, how's it going? And whatever feedback they get, that's that's a nice reminder for the preceptor of why they're doing what they're doing. That's a great idea. Sort of like a good life lesson for most anything we're doing. Getting back to your why, right? Absolutely. Why is it we thought we wanted to do something in the first place? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, from time to time, we have preceptees, new nurses who are struggling a bit. And uh, there are various approaches that, that people use, some a lot of feedback and that type of thing. But what happens sometimes on units is, Sometimes there's one preceptor who's sort of known to be, well, if there's a problem person, let's put them with this preceptor. They'll get them sort of figured out, straightened out and all of that. And the risk with that is that everybody kind of gets labeled, both the preceptee mm-hmm. and the preceptor who is, well, we're going to keep that person for the problem folks who are coming into the unit. What are you, some of your general thoughts about when preceptees are struggling and some of the approaches there? Yeah, so I really love metaphors and I think it's so great as a way, instead of saying like, you know, where are you struggling and what are you struggling with? Because sometimes when a preceptee or preceptor is struggling, it's hard to nail down and it's really hard to identify exactly what it is. So even when I was 
teaching, I use this metaphor of roses because who doesn't love some flowers, right? So I, I bring flowers, I put uh, vases on the, on the table. And that's how my class knew that it was feedback day. And the metaphor it's, you know, it's with a rose. So what are your roses? And I would ask that and preceptors can ask ask their preceptees, these leaders can ask their staff this. So in in roses, what do you want to highlight? So what are your successes? What are your wins, right? What, what's good? What are the roses? Then on those roses, where are your thorns and your thorns are your challenges? What did you experience that you can, you need more support with, right? What hurts you right now? And then Another part of it is what are your buds? So what are your new ideas that you want to blossom into something or that you're looking, you're looking for more information about, or you're excited about. So using that roses, thorns, and buds metaphor is a nice way to keep track of how your preceptees are doing and also give a metaphor and a fun way to say, Hey, what's going on here without just saying what's wrong or what's going well. Um, And I feel like it solicits a little bit more feedback because it makes it fun. Number one. And it's also, it gives more people that flowery, (laughs) flowery language, right? So successes and challenges and more ideas that you want to grow. You know, the thing, I've never heard of that metaphor before, but I really like it. The the thing I think it does too, is it sets up that there are going to be roses. There are going to be thorns, pain points. There are going to be buds, places where we can learn and grow together. It's not like something's wrong, mm-hmm. that there's a thorn for goodness sakes. We're learning, we're learning new things. Right. So, so this is a way of even now we're not saying you got to bring a rose into the ICU, but you know, like the concept, <laughs> you can draw it, you can do something, but the, I like I like the metaphor. So really what you're talking about is this art of giving and receiving feedback. Mm -hmm. Share some wisdom about that, because I don't care how long you've been doing this thing called life on earth. Sometimes it's hard to give feedback to people. And uh, I like that as an approach. Any other words of wisdom about just either way, preceptor to preceptee or the other direction? It was a Brene Brown that said feedback is a gift, right? So it, it's hard to give and it's hard to receive. And it's, it's that mutual respect. And when someone gives feedback, you know, it, your defenses sometimes might go up, right? Automatically, like, what did I do wrong? But changing that language in your head to say, well, somebody wants to give me this feedback, thank you, right? To, to approach it with that oh my gosh, thank you for that. Because now I can use that to improve my nursing practice, my um, my teamwork, my performance as an employee or my performance as a friend or a, a, a whatever, my identity. So using it as not so much as a defense mechanism, but as an improvement and that takes practice. Like there's no way around that, right? It takes practice. And again, it takes a trusting, supportive environment. So however that can be supported, you know, whether that is through anonymity, which, you know, these roses, thorns, and buds, like I had said. So, you know, we're collecting feedback here. Is that a shoebox that people drop feedback into? 
maybe is like I said, is it the practice of reciprocal feedback? So if we're talking about precepting, it's not just one way, right? It's not just the preceptee getting the feedback from the preceptor, but that preceptee also has the opportunity to give the preceptor feedback. Um, so I think that that constant conversation, um, sometimes structuring the conversation can be helpful too. So not just how's it going? It's good, right? So, but if there's guided questions on both sides, but having that conversation be structured on both sides. So the input matches the output and it's not unequal. I think you just made, well, a ton of really important points, but one that made me think of is this general thing of how are you doing? Is it going okay? Anything like that is really not going to get you what you need because it's sort of human nature to go, yeah, fine. It's all good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So really getting at questions that can help to unearth some of the discomfort. And, you know, it's a bit of a human characteristic that when we get feedback, especially if it's not all roses, some Mm -hmm. thorny feedback, we can all get defensive. What are any um, sage advice that you might have for preceptors if they find a preceptee is kind of getting defensive when they try and share with them some areas for improvement? I think first, understanding um, the cues of defense. So, you know, they're getting defensive. Well, the obvious ones, right, are they're, you know, vocally being defensive or body language is being closed off. But, you know, Personally, when I get defensive, I get quiet, right? So maybe somebody that's really talkative is no longer talking anymore or becoming withdrawn. So that that emotional intelligence of the preceptor to recognize when the preceptee is becoming defensive is is the first step. Um, Also, when you're giving and receiving feedback, I think a lot of times we have this reactive or this need to react in real time. And sometimes, most times, I would say we need that time to kind of sit with it and think about it a little bit, let it settle. Um, So maybe that opportunity to give feedback and say, you know, you don't have to answer me right now, or why don't we come back tomorrow? So if there is that observation or the unobservation, whatever it is, but just that freedom and that, that choice to say, Let's have this conversation and let's talk about it the next time we're together. Mm-hmm. And then that, that, you know, that circle back kind of conversation, um, because that reaction sometimes it's not, it, it's a reaction and it, it's a defense mechanism. It's, and the reaction isn't necessarily always what you want to come across as. So yeah. that, that freedom to come back to something after you've thought about it for a while is, is a nice way to take down a defense. Very hard to deal with when you're trying your best to give feedback and someone gets defensive because you feel bad and you want to do it well and and that kind of thing. Speaking of how preceptors are feeling, I want to focus for a couple of minutes on this. You know, uh, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of people being tapped to precept a lot right now because we have so many new folks coming in. And it's really important for all of us to support preceptors so they don't get burned out, want to leave, want to say no. And part of that is really meaningful recognition for preceptors um, because it's tiring work. It's heavy work. It's a lot of work. Um, What are some things that seem to work in terms of recognizing people for being preceptors? 
Well, the conversation of recognizing preceptors, I think, is is extremely important. And on a unit-based level, on an institutional level, I think it needs to be elevated because I don't think we do a great job with recognizing our preceptors. Um, so however that is, whether it is financially, and I know that could be institutional specific, but you're, you're right. It's, it's hard work. It's a lot of work. It's emotional work sometimes, right? Um, so how are we elevating the role of the preceptor? I mean, is it is a lot of it's part of um, some institutions, it's part of the professional profile, which comes with promotion. Um, is that a route? I think that whatever it is, it really needs to be written into the professional profile of the RN, especially if they are doing it routinely. I agree with you totally. There's got to be something there like what's in it for for us. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts about um, preceptors supporting each other? You know, there's, there's just getting over it and burned out and, and that kind of thing. Have you seen any or just any kind of examples of things that you've seen informally, whether it's from the leader or staff to staff or something like that, to sort of pull each other forward when we're being asked to precept so often? I haven't seen anything, but a network of preceptors sounds like a great idea to me. Uh, You know, that's story sharing. That is a great way to say, you know, this is what worked for me, or this is how I precept developing all of these creative ways to bring people along and, you know, what works, what didn't work, a way to share in this experience that we are all going through, right? Whether it's teaching in a classroom or teaching in a clinical setting or having these conversations, right? We're all having them. We're just having them in different places. So it would be really nice to have one shared experience or shared place to have these precepting conversations. You know, we're just about at our time. So I want to kind of summarize some of what I've heard. I've got like three lists going here because this is so rich and it's such important dialogue. But but if I put some things together, I think the first thing I would say to preceptors and preceptees is take some time setting up learning to understand and get to know each other. Um, And that includes setting the stage for feedback as a gift. Mm-hmm. And this is something, again, as humans, we can all get used to when someone gives us feedback first saying thank you. Mm-hmm. And when we check in with our new folks, not just using general questions, how you doing, blah, 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 but maybe some guided specific questions that can help us to understand what's going on. And I love your concept also of is different wrong. So when people see the same thing being done in different ways, is that necessarily wrong? And let's Let's think together about that. I think for leaders, what I heard you say, very sage advice, which is we need to elevate the role and recognition that we have for preceptors in general, because we can't afford to have them burn out. And part of that you mentioned is getting back to why did people want to precept in the first place? And somebody, you, me, or some other people might consider putting together a network of preceptors, either within a, just that could be just within a hospital itself. Mm-hmm. or across the ASEAN community. I think the final pieces of sage uh, wisdom that I heard from you is, number one, we are all learners, not just the preceptee. The preceptor and the preceptee, don't assume you know, rather talk about things, 
And the fundamental success piece of all of this is trust between the preceptor and the and the preceptee. That's that would be my summary statement of what I heard from you. Did I did I leave anything out? You captured that beautifully. <laughs> and you know, just the bottom line is right, we're all here to take care of patients. Absolutely. That is our reason to be. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So let me just wrap up, Susan, and ask you one thing. You know. Nobody listening or nobody between the two of us speaking thinks healthcare is easy right now. There is nothing easy about being a nurse, being in healthcare right now. And yet, most of us still manage to keep a grain of hope. So, if you pause and look back at things, what is it when you look out and see all the things that you see that gives you hope right now? What gives me hope and what I love so much about this is goes back to our concept is that we are all learners and we are all adapting. And no matter what curveball is throwing at us, right, we catch it and throw it back. So the next generations that are coming up, the current generations, we're all just, we're still in it, right? We are adapting and we are malleable and we're asking what's next and we're receiving that answer and we're going with it. And that's what just, it gives me hope. Brilliant. Gives me hope to hear it too. Mm -hmm. Dr. Susan Bartos, I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom with us and your hope. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, proudly sponsored by AACN's Preceptor Challenge with information available at aacn.org forward slash precept. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org.